find it in Hebrews 8, verse 7, on to 9, verse 10. For if that first commandment had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. For he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, for they did not continue in my covenant. And so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful towards their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And that is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Not even the first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness. For a tent was prepared, the first section in which there the lampstand and the table and the bread of the presence. It is called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place, having a golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant covered on all sides with gold in which were the golden urn holding the manna and Aaron's staff that budded and the tablets of the covenant. Above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. These preparations having thus been made, the priest goes regularly into the first section performing the ritual duties, but into the second only the high priest goes, and he but once a year, and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. By this, the Holy Spirit indicates the way into the holy places is not yet opened as long as the first section is still standing, which is symbolic for the present age. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Heavenly Father, thank you that through the blood of, the, of Christ Jesus, our Lord, 
We have a new and better covenant with you, better promises of grace and forgiveness. Thank you that he is our glorified living sacrifice and our heavenly high priest, who at this moment is interceding for all of us, his children. Thank you that we are not under the law, but under grace. Help us to live our lives as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to you. Holy Spirit, will you continue to guide Pastor Andrew as he now will put words to all that you have laid on his heart the last couple of days, immersing himself in the glorious words of comfort extended to us this morning. And it's in the name of Jesus, our risen Savior, that I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, John. thought I'd start with maybe a pastoral word this morning. Um, it's not necessarily out of the text. For some reason, I was, I was thinking about our young people a lot this week. You can put yourself in that category if you want. Uh, I guess I was thinking somewhere, you know, those mid-teens through the 20s. And I'm just thinking about all the different ways in which life comes at you and the things that you have to think about. Lisa was recounting a little bit to me some of the sharing that went on at the the women's event yesterday and just kind of confirmed some of my thinking, just some of the anxieties that you have as a young person, all of the decisions that are coming at you. Uh, how are we going to manage this? And we do live in a particular time post-COVID. There was just a weird time and how that affects us all. And we're still, I think, trying to figure out the the fallout of some of that. And then, of course, you've got the electronic age and cell phones and, and just all of the different things. And I, I think where my mind was going or where my heart was drawn this week is oftentimes, and I don't know if this comes by way of acknowledgement or apology or whatever it is, feel like I, I preach to the adults and, and let the young people listen in. And, um, you know, I, I don't know why, I don't know if there's just a, a way about that or you think about those things. Uh, there's always a sense in which I, I trust that you are listening in and I believe in your ability to track with the things that we're talking about and that the Holy Spirit is making clear to you. But just part of me today almost wanted to say, I, I'm going to only talk to the young people and invite the older people to listen in. Um, but all that to say, there's just so much here that I think is relevant for any age, any person, and, and especially, I think, for, for younger people. Like, if you miss this, you're, you're really going to miss something that is, is really, really precious and, and really, really hopeful for you. So, so wherever you are, all that to say, 
Uh, because the more I got to thinking about it, I'm like, man, old people need this too. I mean, old, old people and older people and wherever you are, I had a birthday this week, so I don't even know where I am right now. Uh, we all need what God's word has to say to us about this new covenant. All right, enough of that. Probably didn't make any sense to anybody. Felt like I needed to say it though. Here we go. Uh, Hebrews we are in the middle of this. In some sense, we are right to the very point that he was wanting to make. Now, the point of all of this, he says in 8, 1, and 2, he's trying to say to this group of people that's ready to let go of the rope, uh, to let Jesus go because they just feel like they can't hold on anymore in the midst of Rome, in the midst of occupation. They need something more substantial, something that they can see. But the preacher is saying, don't do it. Don't go back to something that is inferior. You have the best in what Jesus came to do. You're my all, you're my best. We were singing of some of those things. And that's what the preacher is saying. This is what you have been longing for. This is what your soul needs in so many ways. To, so hold on to it. And he gets at it by going through the old covenant, the old administration. Covenant's a, a tough word. Uh, how do we understand it? Some of us may think of a contract. Uh, it's not the best way to think about things. There, there are some aspects of a covenant that are contractual. Contracts, though, are very impersonal in our world. I just got new internet service in our house uh, and I, I signed a contract with that. I don't know the people that I signed a contract with. I'm not even sure I trust the people that I signed the contract with, but it's a, it's a very impersonal thing. Covenants were meant to be much more personal. In fact, if you go back into Genesis, there's this really weird passage where uh, Abraham is making a covenant with the Hittites, and you know how they seal this? They, they seal this by, by uh, grabbing each other's loins. So you can interpret loins uh, however you like. Uh, but there's, a, there's an intimacy that is involved with a covenant. And, and when God comes to make a covenant with his people, it's not just this impersonal contract. It's, it's a very intimate thing that is taking place here. And I think you're gonna get a sense of that as we go through our passage this morning. So in the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, there were things that took place, and you get a sense of that in chapter 9, uh, those 10 verses that we read. There was a, an outer court. There was an inner court. It was a very beautiful. There's a lot of gold there, all of these different things. There are sacrifices. There are priests. But there's also a distance. And, and, and there's also limitations. And there's also barriers. All of this is part of this old covenant, and it wasn't sufficient. That's what the preacher says at the very beginning of the section that we read today. He finds fault with him. If the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion. There would have been no need for a second. 
But there, but there was a problem with the first covenant. Uh, the first covenant wasn't meant to be the whole thing. It was only meant to be a signifier, a pointer. It's like if you're traveling to Aspen, Colorado, and, and you come upon a sign that says, Aspen, 212 miles, and you stop there saying, I've arrived. You're going to be sadly disappointed because that road sign isn't Aspen. Uh, you, you need to keep going until you reach your destination. And that's the picture here that this preacher is giving us. He's saying the old covenant, the old, it was a sign. It was a road sign, but it, it wasn't the destination. The destination is what we see in the new covenant. The destination is what we meet when we come to Jesus. And so all of the beauty, all of the tangibility of the Old Testament, the preacher says, pales in comparison to what we have in this new covenant. And that's what we want to really look at this morning. What is it then that the preacher is holding out to the congregation? What is it that he says the new covenant provides that is going to encourage and is going to strengthen your drooping hands and your weak knees that you are going to be able to keep walking no matter what age you are, uh, no matter what station of life you find yourself in, no matter what challenge you are facing, no matter what the anxieties are that are filling your minds, no matter what the decisions are that are facing you and you're wondering about, all of these different things, the preacher says, the new covenant, the God of the new covenant, he is meeting you in such a way as to give you what you need. Four things for you this morning. The first one is this idea of inclusion. I know inclusivity is a word that our culture has taken over. Uh, in some senses, the, the reason that they have taken it over, I believe, is because it points to a good biblical value, but the world just simply can't answer it in the comprehensive, beautiful way that the scriptures answer our desire for inclusion. And we see this here in the opening section or the opening verses of our section today as God talks about who is involved in this new covenant. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord. This is verse 8. When I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. You see here a, a unification of the houses that had been destroyed by various sins and idolatries and all of those things. He's bringing them together. Uh, he's bringing them into a, a unified people of God. He goes on then in verse 11. He says, they shall not teach each one his neighbor, saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. Do you see what the preacher is saying here? This is a covenant that's, that's not only for the priestly class. It's not only for uh, the Jews of Judah, the ones who are close to Jerusalem, but this is for Israel, Israel who had sinned, who had wandered away from the Lord, who set up worship in Bethel and Dan and all of these different things. This is a covenant that I am making with my people 
that is comprehensive, that is inclusive, that, that brings in all of these people. And especially when you're talking about the second covenant versus the first covenant, the new administration versus the old administration, and the old administration, all sorts of barriers. You get a sense of that there in, in chapter 9. You know, you've got the, the court, you know, the inner court, which is called the, the holy place. And then you've got the inner, inner court, which is the most holy place or the holy of holies. But outside of that, you have the court of the Gentiles. You have the court of the women. You know, and, and each place you are stopped based on what you didn't achieve or what you didn't represent or what you did represent. But here what he's saying is all shall know from the least to the greatest. You know, when we think about Jesus and, and what Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 2 is he's, he's broken down all of those barriers. He's broken down the dividing wall of hostility, that thing that kept the Gentiles out of the, even the inner courts, not the innermost courts, but even just the inner courts, that, that dividing wall has been broken down. He himself, Jesus himself, has become our peace. And so you can sit here today and be anxiety-free. You know, it, it doesn't matter what your skin color is. It doesn't matter what your political views may be. It doesn't matter what your socioeconomic background is. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter where you're going. These things in and of themselves do not disqualify you from the benefits of the new covenant. It, it is a, a truly, truly inclusive covenant for all who will surrender themselves to the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's just the first thing. We'll note that. The second thing that I want to note is just how generous this new covenant is. How generous this new covenant is. You get a sense of that towards the middle of the section that we read today. Uh, there, the, um, God says through the preacher, and, and incidentally, he's quoting from Jeremiah 32, where he's talking about the new covenant. So this was something that was promised to the people of Israel that now the preacher is saying is coming to fruition. This is the longest Old Testament quotation in the New, in the new Testament. Uh, so just a point of interest there. But toward the end of that quotation, he says, I will be merciful towards their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. This is incredible generosity, generosity that is uh, set apart from even the generosity of the New Testament. Why do I say that or, or how do we know that? Part of what we have to recognize here is that the Bible has different words for uh, what we call sin, transgression, iniquity. You, you're familiar with all of those terms. Places like uh, Psalm 32, for instance, they, they all come together. I acknowledge my sin before you. I did not cover my iniquity, David said. I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. So here's the sense in which there's all these different words. We know that Hebrew uses parallelism in its poetry. So do these all mean the same thing? 
The answer is yes and no. Uh, they do sort of all mean the same thing. They're all in the same family, but there are some, there are some, uh, some differences between them. There are some points of intensification that I think are really important. Iniquity is the most deeply rooted of all of these words. So sin uh, is the general word for missing the mark and can cover, cover sort of unintentional as well as intentional sins. Transgressions is, is in the middle. Uh, there is an intent to that. But iniquity is the, the sin with a high hand. Uh, the sin that, uh, here, here's how one person puts it. Iniquity is the most deeply rooted. It refers to premeditated choice. Uh, to commit adult iniquity is to continue without repentance. You know, David's sin that led to the killing of her husband Uriah was iniquity. Micah says in chapter 2, verse 1, Woe to those who plan iniquity, to those who plot evil on their bed. Uh, in David's psalm of repentance, Psalm 51, he cries out to God saying, Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. If you look at Numbers chapter 15, you see in verse 27, If a person sins unintentionally, he shall offer a female goat for, this, for his sin offering, and the priest will make atonement before the Lord. But, verse 30, the person who does anything with a high hand, and that is speaking to the intention, the premeditation of our heart, whether he is native to Israel, whether he's an Israelite or a sojourner, reviles the Lord, and that person shall be cut off from among his people. Because he has despised the word of the Lord and has broken his commandment, that person shall be utterly cut off. His iniquity shall be on him. So you, you get the sense, you get the feeling with regards to iniquity and what that means. And, and now you understand a little bit what it says in, in verse, uh, verse 9 where it says, according to this in Greek arrangement, this is verse 9, sorry, of chapter 9. Uh, this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper. You know, earlier in verse 7, he says the priest offers uh, taking blood, which he offers for himself and the unintentional sins of his people. Do you, do you see what's going on here? In the Old Covenant, if you had that sin with a high hand, you couldn't clear your conscience. There was always that barrier. You could offer sacrifices for unintentional sins, but that iniquity, that sin with a high hand, this is why when we see David, like in places like Psalm 32 or Psalm 51, we realize that that he's seen through the sign of the old covenant to the new. And he's saying, I believe and by faith I recognize that there is something coming that is even greater than this old covenant. He's seeing what now the preacher to the Hebrews is saying is yours. This incredible generosity of the Lord, whereby he doesn't just simply forgive your unintentional sins. 
but he clears your conscience. He wipes away your iniquity. I will be merciful to their iniquity. I will remember their sins no more. Isn't that incredible? The incredible generosity of our God who says, I don't want to heal sin, transgression, iniquity lightly, but I want to heal it all the way. I am going to be merciful to their iniquities and I will remember their sin no more. How is it that Jesus, you know, that God does it? We're going to spend the next couple of weeks talking about Jesus as the sacrifice, the one who is not only the shepherd but the lamb, uh, not only the priest but the sacrifice, you know, all of these things. And, And that's the secret. You know, when God says, I will remember their sins no more, what he's saying is, I am going to turn my face away from their sin, that I might turn my face towards my people. And nowhere do we see that more on the cross than on the cross when Christ cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I mean, there he is bearing our sin, all of our sins, transgressions, iniquities, on him, and the Father turns his face away as wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons and daughters to glory. I mean, this this is the gospel. This is the generosity of God. This is the new covenant, and we so desperately need it. I know it's not popular. In some ways, you know, we've uh, we don't talk about guilt a lot in our culture. Uh, people prefer to talk about shame or freedom, slavery, some of these other things, guilt categories. I would contend that we still deal with them. And you can sort of see it in the way that we uh, interact with one another. recently read a review of a book uh, by Mark Edmondson, which is um, actually dealing with some Freudian terms, in terms of the age of guilt. Uh, Here is some of his ideas as captured by the reviewer. Freud introduced the idea of the superego in the 20s to describe how one part of our personality judges the other parts. The superego is an internalized authority that at once holds us to a standard we are incapable of meeting and punishes us for our deficiencies. So you see what he's saying. We, we torture ourselves with uh, self-recrimination and feel guilty for not living up to our aspirations. What, what he's saying is we all have this part of us that, that has to deal with our guilt. Uh, and and we, we see it and, and we punish ourselves, we torture ourselves with that. So, so how do we do that? Uh, how do we deal with it? Canceling strangers, well, let me go back. Today, there are so many opportunities to get away from nasty self-judgment by judging others. To escape our own feelings of guilt, we attack others or we douse ourselves with what Freud calls palliative measures just to feel less. Canceling strangers in highly performative ways, we show ourselves to be not so bad. When you deploy the superego in the world, you gain temporary relief. You judge and you judge, and for a while it seems that your sins have been forgiven. 
You see, there's, there's, there's still this need that we have to clear our conscience. And, and one of the ways that, that this writer is saying that we do it is we do it through our judging others. We do it in our online presence. We do it in our conversations that we have. We do it internally with ourselves as we you know, put others down or see ourselves as better than them. And, and, and it, it works for a minute, but, but then you either just have to get louder or you have to go more and more and more. And, and the whole point here, what the, the preacher to the Hebrews is saying is there's something better. The generosity of Jesus, I will be merciful to your iniquities. You are now set free from having to judge others. You are set free from that because you know the generosity of the Lord. And the Lord has established you and you can love others and you can live freely before him in your conscience. The third thing that we see here is that this new covenant is personal in a way that the old covenant was not. And you recognize this. There are so many things in the old covenant that are standing between a person and God. Uh, there are sacrifices, there are priests, there are courtyards, uh, there is the law uh, that is read to the people, uh, contained on the scrolls. All of these things are, are ways that sort of catalyze your relationship with God, but they also stand between your relationship with God. You have to access them, you have to go through them. In many ways, this describes what we think about as religion. You know, we, we think about religion uh, as, as this thing that if we use the right technique, if we manipulate it correctly, if, if we use it right, will give us access to God. Um, I don't, does that make sense? Uh, we, that's, that's how we, we think about religion. But what what the, what the preacher is saying here is that in this new covenant, you will know me. I will write my, my, the words of my law on your heart. There, there's nothing in between. There is direct access. There are no intermediaries. You don't need a priest in order to access God. You can pray directly to God. You don't need a saint. You don't need anything for that access to God. It, it is direct. I am emblazoned on your heart and your mind and your conscience. You see, in, in, in chapter 9, when the preacher says the Holy Spirit it's just kind of an interesting sort of insertion there. I don't remember what verse it is. But he says the Holy Spirit is noting that in this old covenant, the way is not open. But the implication is in the new covenant, the way is open. And it is through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit takes up residence in our hearts. The Holy Spirit interprets our prayers. He interprets to us the deep things of God. And we have this personal connection with the living God. Now, on the one hand, this is terrifying. Uh, they, we, we sometimes 
think about these things or pray about these things or talk about these things. But as we're going to see, we've already touched on a little bit, you know, earlier in chapter 8, we're, we're told that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty. Like, they you can't even talk about the, the personhood of God, he just the majesty. You know, there's this bigness to it. Later on, he's going to say, our God is a consuming fire. And, and so the Israelites, they certainly would have recognized this. Like, they wanted something to stand in between them. They longed for that buffer. But what, what this preacher is saying here is when, when you know God as he has been revealed in the New Testament, when you know Jesus who has stepped into our world and has taken on our sin and has gone to the cross, you realize that to have a buffer is so inferior to what we have been offered. You know, to, to have a barrier standing between us, it, it's not at all the height of what is promised to us and what we long for and what we're offered and what we're given in the person of Jesus is this personal relationship. And that's very different than religion. That's why, I mean, some of you know this, but in, um, you know, why was Christianity persecuted so much in Rome? Because if you think about it, the Romans had all kinds of religions. They were very syncretistic. They were very welcoming of new religions. But others have pointed this out, Dick Lucas and others, that, you know, when you come to Hebrews, one of the big challenges is, is that, you know, you think about a, a Roman having a conversation with their neighbor, and they're saying, like, like where's your temple? Well, our, our bodies are the temple of the, of the Holy Spirit. Where's your priest? Well, we, we don't have a priest. We, Jesus is our priest. He is ascended. And, and they're saying, well, you don't really have a religion then. If you don't have a place, if you don't have these, uh, these pontifexes, if you don't have all of this, you don't have a religion, and Christianity says, no, that's exactly right. We have a relationship with the living God, and all can know him, from the least to the greatest, from the youngest to the oldest. And this is the beauty, the promises that we have. And the last thing I'll just highlight to you with this new covenant is that it is sure. I think one of the, the things that I have... You know, personally, I struggle with this. You know, you're always like, have I done enough? Is it, is it, uh, is it, is it sufficient? You know, is this thing that I've just done now or this thought that I've just had now, is that going to disqualify me? And, and so I have to think, I have to press into the promises of the gospel. I have to open myself again, surrender to the truth of God's word. And the truth of God's word is what we see here throughout the passage. Uh, look at verse 8 of chapter 8. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant. And then he goes on in verse 10. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. I will put my laws into their minds. I will be their God. For I will be merciful to their iniquities. And I will remember their sins no more. 
What's so beautiful about this new covenant is that it is completely, this is, uh, it is completely monergistic. Uh, God is the one who moves towards us. He does all the work. And we receive the blessings of this new covenant. One writer puts it this way. He says, the I wills of God rob uncertain, doubting humanity of their timidity, their reticence, and their fear. God says, I will make this covenant. I will engrave my laws in their hearts. I will be their God. I will manifest myself to them. I will make myself known from the least to the greatest. I will be merciful. I will forget all of their sins, all of the tentativeness and hesitancy of the earlier days have gone. Humanity, God's people, hearts surrendered before the Lord, you can be sure. Do you believe these things? Have you opened your heart to them? Do you, do you see what a firm foundation this is? Do you see the strength that is there? Yeah, I, I know that there's a lot of things. Like, how do we make decisions going through our life? Whether you are a young person or you are an older person. Uh, there are always these decisions. How do we deal with the uncertainty of life? Uh, there is anxiety. Like, what? What is going to happen? Will people like me? You know, will, will I be a good father? Will I be a good mother? Is there ever going to be somebody for me to marry, to have as a spouse, to love? Like all of these things, like these are the deep wounds of our heart, the deep questions of our heart, the deep things that we walk through. But God says, know me. I will. Make myself clear to you. If you reach out, you will find me. And this is a promise. This is a person that we can walk with all the days of our life. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for all of these promises in the new covenant that are yes and amen in Jesus. You know, from the very beginning of this book of Hebrews, we have been encouraged to see Jesus because he is the one uh, that is better. He is the, the true radiance of the Father's glory. And, and you have brought, been brought to us and we have been invited into this. Lord, I, I pray that all of us, from the least to the greatest, from the youngest to the oldest, from those whose, whose faith is most tenuous to those who, whose faith is more courted. Lord, I, I pray that you would strengthen us, that you would meet us, that you would remind us of your mercy and your grace, that you would draw us further up and farther in, that we would see Jesus as our friend, our elder brother, and that we would cling fast and that we would find our drooping hands lifted and our weak knees strengthened. Lord, for those who are clinging to other ways to erase guilt, to, to find strength, uh, Lord, we would pray that it, it would prove itself to be empty and, and that just the still small voice that whispers there is a better way 
Lord, we pray that that would become louder and louder. We pray this all in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.